I can't tell you how many marketing departments don't market marketing. That's Gene Hitchcock, VP of Marketing at Phoenix Children's Hospital. If you're not reporting out to your board quarterly about all that you're doing to build your brand, you're missing an opportunity. Because if the only time they hear you is when you ask for budget and they don't know what you're doing with the money, you're not going to get the budget. Wait, so you're telling me that after we've marketed to the market, we have to market internally too? After the intro, let's dig into what it takes to keep a hospital's consumer growth arm going. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. I'm Chris Hemphill, VP of Applied AI at Actium Health, and we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future in healthcare. We've previously discussed how healthcare marketing is key in healthcare delivery. Check out our previous episode, Do Healthcare Marketers Deliver Care, for more on that. The communications and stories that alert people to act on their health helps to save lives. But that's only one side of the picture. Healthcare marketers are also in the unique position of constantly having to justify their real impact on the bottom line. So, Essentially, there are two jobs in marketing, to communicate with the patient audience and to justify to a business audience that this outreach is working. That's easy, right? Not quite. Progressing with senior leaders means breaking through noise, holding attention, and telling compelling data stories. We're going to dig into how to accomplish all of that, and what you'll learn isn't limited to just marketing roles. But first things first, how to break through the noise. Especially senior leadership, because I do a lot of keynotes for C-suite executives, and Mm -hmm. you think uh, we're all distracted. They're hyper-distracted, right? You're hearing from Deborah Jasper, CEO of Mindset Digital. She's helped thousands of leaders work with busy executives. Everybody's so busy. We all have so much coming at us. And so one of the things we used to talk about is how today's audiences have eight-second attention spans, which is still true. But now people are not just distracted. I think the big challenge now is they're distant and they're distressed. And the brain science of this I find fascinating. The brain science basically says when we're stressed out, it's harder for us to listen, it's harder for us to learn, and it's harder for us to remember what we learned, which is why we go through a meeting and then we say, What was it that you were talking about? We've got to, as leaders, we're going to have to communicate with extreme clarity and impact. Not just clarity, but extreme clarity if we have any hope that we're going to drive action. Extreme clarity? Wait, what's that? A lot of what's happening now is people have, I talked today about the three W's. You have to start with, what am I talking about? And why why does it matter? So what is this about? And you better be able to answer that in a sentence or two. So what? Why does my audience care? And now what do we want them to do next? And we all know the self-interest rule. People care because what's in it for them. But too often we start our presentations and our emails and our reports with why we care instead of talking about why they care. Why does the audience care? So extreme clarity requires you to get to the heart of why people care fast. I teach graduate courses Mm -hmm. actually in public policy. I was the last class before graduation. And I would say, now you're going to take that lovely thesis (laughs) And you are going to try to break it down, not dumb it down, but break it down in a way that makes people want to read it, 
Because sometimes you think about all those college papers and of course your professors read them because you paid them to. <laughs> now when you're out here, people aren't, we are not tuning in unless you can make a compelling case for why we should. And everybody always talks about the famous quote, people argue over who said it, but I love it. It is, I'm so, you know, I'm sorry I wrote you this long letter. If I'd had more time, I would have written you a shorter one. It's because it takes time to get down to what's most essential to share. And if you can't, if you don't know why it's important, your audience really doesn't. So that's true if you're writing. I always say clear writing reflects clear thinking, but it's also true if you're presenting. If you put a lot of complexity on the screen, all that says to me is you haven't done the hard work of breaking it down and telling me why it matters. So I was a journalist in another life and I was an investigative reporter and I used to write long form investigative projects. I once filled it's like a dozen pages in, a, in the newspaper. So I love all that analysis and I love long form writing and bring out all this complex data. But the truth is where we are now with the audiences so distant, so distracted, so much going on, you think about everybody at home and their kids are talking and their dogs are barking and there's just too much. We can choose to give them all that complexity, but if they don't read it or they don't take it in, it doesn't matter. So I say we can either be relevant or we can be reluctant, <laughs> but we can't be both. We cannot be reluctant to adapt to this changing environment if we want to be relevant. As H.G. Wells said, adapt or perish. But how? To help out with that, Deborah has all sorts of heuristics and learnings that work. One for the books, however, is SOS, short, organized, skimmable. We have a whole program on short, organized, skimmable. So we have entire micro courses, because again, you mm -hmm. can't teach people, you, you can't teach people how to be short, organized, and skimmable with long, <laughs> meandering courses. But that one is critical. But we also talk, you heard me talk about ARC, which is you have to have a clear call to action, clear recommendations, and clear context. And the context should be at the bottom. Again, just in case you're not writing it down, ARC. Actions, recommendations, context. You've got to start with what is that call to action? If you have more than one, I'm probably not tuning in. If you give me five, then I just get paralyzed. We also talk, a lot of things that people find compelling though, is sometimes they'll say, Deborah, you talk a lot about the power of the informal. That's why we say casual does not mean careless. People are resistant to being more informal because to your point, business schools and all that, they teach you a lot. They teach you to elevate your language, but then you're into that curse of expertise, which is when you're talking to impress rather than inform. Mm. And, and we're just not, we're not tuning into any of that. So you're over here going, well, wah, 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 look how amazing my research is. And everybody else is like, wow, there's a cute new cat video on YouTube. A friend of ours, actually, I stole this from him, always says, you don't have time to write War and Peace, and I don't have time to read it. Yeah, LinkedIn profile is the same thing, that formality. So often people want to get on LinkedIn, and they want to write in their elevated language, and they want to say, here's the thing, I didn't sit down today and say, hi, my name is Deborah. Deborah is a dynamic leader. We just don't do that, but somehow we go to LinkedIn, and we, do, we write like that, and that is not building trust. So we have to think more about telling the powerful story of us, which goes back to why do people care? When you're crafting your communications, that's the first question to ask. When you're reviewing the communications, that's the last question to ask. Why do people care? And none of us want to present in a way that, that you start watching people get on their phones. It's painful. We're in pain as speakers when we stand up in front of an audience and you just feel like, oh, I've lost people. 
And when you put up visuals at Mindset, we call it rapid visual storytelling, you can almost see people lean in. It's just so much more engaging. And when you get to clarity, like I'm going to give you three key things, people will start writing things down. So I had a guy call me a couple of weeks ago and he just gave a talk with over 150 slides. It was his first time do, mm-hmm. doing visual storytelling. And he was so excited. So here's what's really fun. None of us want to sl- work as hard enough. Slogging through bad emails, slogging through bad PowerPoints. Oh, it's rough out here. We just have to stop doing this to people. And we have to stop doing it to ourselves. No one wants to lead bad webinars and definitely no one wants to sit through them. So I think it, it, the big challenge is getting people to invest the time it takes to become a powerful virtual communicator. But you're not going to have a choice. I've been evangelizing about this, I feel like, for a decade. But in the last year and a half, people have said, oh, yeah, we have to do this and we've got to do it now. So it's been, for me, it's been joyous to see people lean in finally and say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to embrace some new approaches. Let's talk about some of those approaches, or as Gene Hitchcock put it, how to market marketing. Gene is the VP of marketing communications and physician relations at Phoenix Children's Hospitals. She's also led consulting efforts at many healthcare systems across the country. And she has a special focus on managing up. There was a time when marketing wasn't even a department in healthcare because you didn't need to market. So there are, in this day and age, if you're not measuring results in dollars to the bottom line, you're really behind the eight ball. I find very few marketing departments that haven't jumped on uh, the MarTech digital marketing and really being a partner with finance on showing how they make contributions to the bottom line. If you're not doing that, you're really doing marketing from maybe two decades ago. You have to show results. I can't tell you how many marketing departments don't market marketing. I'm sure they want to market marketing, but how? If you're not reporting out to your board quarterly about all that you're doing to build your brand, you're missing an opportunity. Because if the only time they hear you is when you ask for budget and they don't know what you're doing with the money, you're not going to get the budget. So you need to report out what you're doing, and it needs to be a comprehensive reporting out. People used to think if they reported out how many clicks they had or views they had on a website, that meant something. No, no, no. they got to sign up for an appointment now. They've got to schedule a test now. They have to select a position now. And that's the kind of real business success that you need to report out through the entire attribution period for a service that you decide to take to market. Attribution. Now we're getting to the really hard questions. Attribution is where the most fighting happens. If you don't have the ability to do it, I'd say get it like yesterday, but think about what you already have in place. So you talk to your CFO and you say, what do you think the value of a primary care patient is? Because for every physician referral that you provide, you should get, you should be quantifiably recording that. So I think it was McKinsey says it's worth about 6,500, discounted by 50% for reimbursement, $3,200 a pop, right? So you have a new movers program. How many of those convert to actual new patients? And then most people will tell you that you probably market 10% to your existing patients. You need to really mine your own data, go into your uh, medical record and find out exactly who you're treating now and some predictive modeling of what services they might need in the future. I'm a classic orthopedic patient. I will go until I hurt so badly 
that I'll finally get something done. And that's exactly what I did. So if you know that someone's been complaining and been taking medication and having treatments for sore joints, they're a perfect person then to identify for orthopedics down the line. So mine your current client data in your medical record, look at new movers programs, look at physician referral, whether it's in your call center or request to your website, and then volumes for things like ambulatory. Ambulatory is, is really a, a rich area if people have a choice to go for services, scans, or whatever. Really set up ways to track new patients to that that you didn't have before. So there are things that if you don't have a whole big mark um, MarTech stack you can do. And then once you start getting into CRM and things like that, you can really get very granular about where you're picking up people, new physicians who are referring to your organization. And that's where you really need to focus when you start developing and maturing as a marketing department. We're clearly big fans of CRM intelligence, but that's not the only part of the picture. People can mine for data all day long and attempt to prove any point that they wish. So, No matter how much prep you do, there's going to be a little bit of skepticism. How do we address the debate about all the other things that could be impacting your output? It goes back to what I said about marketing, not marketing. If you think about it, and and a CEO told me this one time, he says, I've never had a marketing person come to me that told me they could help me meet my bottom line. We can't help them meet their bottom line. What department can? Second thing is build your partnerships with the CFO and the CIO. With all the digital stuff you need, that CIO had better be your partner in crime. And the CFO you need for that purpose of credibility for the results when you report out. So when you talk about where the communication goes south, if you haven't started really proselytizing a little bit about what marketing is to IT, finance, and to your leadership, start there. Then make sure that they understand you are going to be their partner in hitting the bottom line, and you're going to show them how you're going to do that. And there's a process you go through to select what you take to market. I always have planning, the CIO, and finance at those sessions because I found very few physicians when I ask the question, Is it profitable what you do? They look at me like, I have no idea. So you have finance in the room to tell you what makes money and what doesn't make money. Partnering up with your clinical team is key. Remember that marketing is part of the delivery process and influencing consumers when they're not in the hospital is a major part of that. Does it sound daunting? Does it sound like something that only the HCAs and Kaisers of the world can do? Jean shared some advice on how to know when your organization is ready for data-driven initiatives. I'll go back to the, the fact that you have to start somewhere and you have to start with what you have. Do you have your own call center? Do you have a call center? Do you have online scheduling now? Take a look at what you currently have, okay? MarTech stacks can be built like Legos, Okay, CRM systems are all different. If you have a really robust call center, you're going to want a CRM that really does a a very easy interface with them. If you have an organization, that's the technical piece. The organizational behavior, though, also comes in, and this is why the consensus with the CIO is so important. There are some organizations that are really really strict about access and integrating and API shooting data to different systems. That's why that partnership with CI with the CIO is so critical. Because if you're going to mine that data for marketing, they need to have assurance that is protected. So you might have to incrementally take advances in some areas based on how 
open your organization is to integrating systems or not. And then the other thing is everything costs different amounts of money. A new movers campaign isn't that much money, but a new movers campaign that's tied to CRM, that's tied to a call center, which is really the Cadillac of what you want. Maybe we should be saying the Tesla of what we want. That's going to take more money. So part of it is assessing your organization's readiness to take this on. The second piece is what do you have in place now that you can build upon? Are you all on one medical record or not? Do you have to jerry-rig the medical records? A lot of people have a different outpatient medical record than inpatient. And then do you have a CRM system that can handle that? Or whatever it is, online scheduling whatever it is that you want to look at and have the vendors come in and show you what they can do and have them answer questions for you around ease of integration, cooperation with IT, security of data. They, they get these questions every day. So they're very willing to answer it, but that's how you have to really assess whether you're ready or not. Okay. So build coalitions first, ensure your goals are aligned, build strategies before buying technologies. Now we've got everybody together. Now what? One question that CIOs sometimes bring up, and I'll just say that because it's come up a couple of times this year. In a perfect world, they would like to be all fill in the blank. Microsoft, Adobe, Salesforce, whatever. Life just isn't that homogeneous anymore. So when you come up against a CIO, and that's probably too strong a word, who has that belief, you have to educate them about why going a different way makes sense from a marketing perspective. They don't know marketing. You don't know IT as well as they do, but they don't know marketing like you do. And you need to explain that to them. I have had more conversation with CIOs about the fact that I'm not going to put 37 things hanging on your chassis. I'm going to put a cohesive program together on your chassis because it meets my needs, but it will not impact or upset what you're trying to do. So that's why those coalitions are just so important to have up front. because when the vendors come in, it's not the time you want to find out that your IT department is really not open to this. I will tell you that one of the top five organizations in the United States that's near me hired a CMO in the last year and a half, and they had the person lined up for interviews with a number of people, and her comment was, I don't see the CIO here. I have to meet with that person before I will consider taking the job. And that just shows you the shift in in how that's going forward, because she knows how important that's going to be for her going forward. That insistence on meeting the CIO ahead of the job highlights a powerful point. It's never just you. It's never just us. We need to know that we can get operational support. We need to know that the C-suite gets and respects what we're trying to do. How do we tie all this together to build and deliver great stories for our leaders? I'll give you an example of what people used to do and why it it didn't serve them. People who used to judge public relations by the amount of space in a newspaper and what the equivalent cost would be of buying that space and add value, that is an old metric that doesn't mean anything. And so people would look at them going, well, we wouldn't have spent that money anyway. What you do now in PR is you say, if we're going out with a program around our brand or around heart, then any news stories that are positive, we're going to get credit for. Neutral is a different rating. You grade, you grade the PR you have now based on how well it's aligned with philanthropy, maybe human resources and marketing. 
It's a very different way of looking at it that you've ever had before. And that's why I think you need to look at what is the organization going to believe, which is where getting you get the value first. And you never do a marketing plan without a measurable goal. If this is your goal, what are your measurable metrics you're going to have? And you say, this is what we're going to do. Great. It's awesome to have the right coalition and right storytelling framework in place. Depending on how tight that connection is, and how your organization's needs pan out, some stories are going to work better than others. Where's a good place to get started? Obviously, New Movers is always a great place to start. And in Phoenix, forget about COVID, but Phoenix, for example, is the fastest growing county in the country. So New Movers would make perfect sense. There's other parts of the country that's losing population, so that wouldn't make much sense. I use a a 10-point criteria of what to take to market, and it has things like, Is the patient experience good? Does it make money? Are we clinically strong in that area? Probably the biggest piece is, do you have any capacity? The worst thing is to market something and people can't get in. Is there a physician champion who can make changes? If the patient experience isn't good, is there a doctor who can make it better type of thing? Is there spinoff revenue from the service? Mm-hmm. IVF is one of those, in vitro fertilization programs, is one of those things that has tremendous spinoff because of labs and what have you. So you have to take a, a snapshot of where you are, your organization. And then the big one, which I think a lot of people are going to have to focus on more than they've ever had before. And because I came up through operations, I recognize how the ops people are so crucial. What is the throughput? which goes to patient experience. I had a marketing professor that used to tell me to always look for the the person who was the first who did something Mm -hmm. and then follow to see if the idea, what happens to that idea, whether it's electric cars, 3D printers or whatever. So for marketing, my gold standard has been, when I think about how they went from selling books to recommending purchases for me, to now everything from financial products to owning the Washington Post. It goes on and on. Right. I think their insights into consumer buying habits is the gold standard. I think Apple has been somebody who went with the quality and never left that, that positioning. I once had somebody tell me that if Apple made white bread, they would buy it because that's their reputation and they really work on that. So I look at those sorts of people that I am impressed by from a marketing perspective, but as a consumer, I'm also, I was one of those PC people, we're totally Apple now kind of thing. Uh So I look at how they do it and are there things that we could do differently? And years ago, I had an orthopedic doctor who said, I want people to think of my practice like a fine French restaurant that they'll wait months for. And I said to him, if I've got a bad knee, I'm not going to wait months. That shows you how much we've changed where now people can do online scheduling. The consumer is really throwing their weight around in a way that they should have all along. And I just think it's wonderful. That gives us some action and some inspiration on how to kickstart these efforts. Awesome. Now let's jump in. Wait. While that part can be exciting, going in without a plan is a recipe for your efforts to get railroaded. How to get to the seat at the table where marketing is strategic rather than being a mission monkey for billboards and social media posts. David Marlowe of Strategic Marketing Concepts has been helping healthcare leaders to do this for over 40 years. The industry has gotten so reactive 
that it, it's moved away from putting together marketing plans. It's almost as if people, you know, there's no time. We just have to react. And the problem, of course, is when you always live in a reactive mode, you never do carve out the time to put together a marketing plan and you never get proactive. You're always reacting to somebody running in the room saying, I have this crisis, I have this, I need this, I need that. And you essentially become order takers. And a good marketing function shouldn't be, it's not a restaurant. You shouldn't be taking orders. What you should be doing is saying, okay, what is, what's the opportunity? What's the problem? We're bringing on two new surgeons that are going to give us a capacity we didn't have before. That's a great opportunity. What do we need to do to communicate that or to set up the, the marketing for that to, to take advantage of that expectation? And, and I will add to that that one of the things I work with a lot of places and really emphasize is that I said the word communication a minute ago, mm -hmm. but marketing is a lot broader than communications. In healthcare, it tends to be, the typical hospital health system, it tends to be very communications oriented. That's the way it's evolved. That's a lot of who've taken those positions. And that's fine. That probably is 75% of what has to be done. But there's a lot more to marketing than that, even if it doesn't fall under the marketing department. So for example, access. Are these new doctors located someplace I can find them? How do I make an appointment? Can I even get an appointment? Do they take my insurance? These are all issues that come into play. What's the experience like? I'll use an example of hospital-based diagnostic imaging up against freestanding diagnostic imaging. Mm -hmm. To get a diagnostic, get an x-ray at a typical hospital, you gotta park two, two zip codes over, find your way through the building, register, get to wherever, or you can go to the freestanding diagnostic imaging center where you can park 25 feet from the door, register online, get it done, and get out. Which one are you gonna to go to? So that's a marketing issue. Sometimes price is a marketing issue. So all I emphasize to people is I know you as the marketing director don't necessarily control the price, but you need to recognize that is if that's a problem, build it into the marketing planning process so that it's addressed. Very nice, David. We're off to a good start. Planning is the difference between an experience that delights patients or frightens them away forever. So what does a good plan look like? A good marketing plan basically connects what's going on in the environment that the organization deals with. And I don't care if the organization is a hospital or a medical group or an urgent care center or a home health, whatever it is, what's going on? What do people want? Is the population increasing or decreasing? What's the payer mix? Who are you competing with? Whatever's going on, connects that to where the organization wants to be positioned. And sometimes that position is real, sometimes it's aspirational. What marketing strategies are you gonna put in place, two, three, four, five, whatever's reasonable, to achieve that position? And it might be communications, and it might be media relations, and it might be digital access, or whatever it may be. Then it leads to what are our quantifiable objectives? And that's, by the way, a big problem with a lot of marketing work, a lot of marketing plans, is we don't measure what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So what are our objectives? And then what are the specific actions we're going to take in the next year to get there? And that pull, you pull that all together, figure out the resources to do those 20 actions, 30 actions, and there's your marketing budget. And the marketing budget was tied all through all that whole plan. That's really what a good marketing plan does. And what I try to teach people is, is here's the process, but the one that's going to, whatever you're going to include in your hospital plan is going to be very different than that medical group's plan. There's not one size fits all. You have to reflect 
You have to reflect what's happening in the environment. You also have to reflect what's the marketing function. If it's a one-person marketing department, <laughs> that's going to be a very different marketing plan than if it's a 35-person academic medical center. Just reality. A good plan obviously requires heavy reflection and preparation. But is that enough? Well, as John Steinbeck said, the best laid plans of mice and men go oft astray. I think we can recall many times where we get railroaded because our leaders just don't get it. Is there any way to work with them and to win for the long haul? Part of that is education, is getting people to understand what the role of marketing is. I think that's gotten better. Mm -hmm. When I came into the field in 1980, it was nobody had a clue what to do, what, what marketing was. So it's gotten better. I think more people understand it, but clearly it's educational. It's also involvement. In other words, I, the marketing people can't go into a closet somewhere, come up with a plan, and lo, here it is. If I have to put together a marketing plan for the diagnostic imaging area, I need to involve you if you're the director of diagnostic imaging. I need to know what's happening, what are your challenges, what are you trying to accomplish. Okay, so it has to be us putting the plan together. It's not this, I go off into this amorphous wilderness and I create a plan and come back and hand it. And that's true. I think a good human resources department works with its managers. Mm -hmm. A good finance department involves its leaders in budgeting and they don't just go make a budget in a closet somewhere and come back and hand, maybe some CFOs do. But no, I'm saying it's, that's not, that it's involvement. So it's a, it become, marketing becomes part of the organization's culture, mm -hmm. not this one-off specialty that's, that we only see once in a while. So you're not alone in this. You're likely not the only person or department to have plans that have been side-railed. The key here is bridging the gap with other areas of your health system. David has more on that. Let me give you a couple that are non-communications. Just and, and again, communication is a big part of what a good marketing department does. But I think the people you're getting who are getting this understand the communications components. So let me give you a couple that are not. One of them was a hospital that was getting feedback. Let me back up. It's a market that there's a high level of consumer price shopping. There's a lot of high deductible plans. People are responsible for the first three or $4,000 out of pocket. So when the doctor says, go get a CAT scan, until they meet that deductible, they're paying for it. And all of a sudden, they're price sensitive to whether the CAT scan is $300, 500 because you're paying out of your pocket. So they got a lot of feedback that the, the system-owned diagnostic imaging, the, the doctors were having a hard time getting people to go to it because it was a lot more expensive than the freestanding. And what they did is they all sat down as a group. Marketing brought that to the forefront, said, what can we do? Finance adjusted some of the prices of some of the most commonly shopped services, a top 10, if you will. And then marketing was able to put a campaign together to get that information back out to all the doctors. They didn't advertise it to the public because it, it's not the kind of thing you run ads into the public, but they got the doctors, the information to the doctors, so the doctors would say, they've adjusted the prices, I really like you to get it here, and it's now competitive. So there's an example of bringing the whole group together. Another quick one is a specialty surgical hospital I worked with not too long ago. It's a doctor-owned hospital. There's no emergency room. You can't, there's no public. You can't walk in. But it's for orthopedic surgery and spinal surgery and other specialized. Mm -hmm. And the job of the marketing department was to bring in new surgeons. That's where the revenue came from. The problem was is there was no operating room time available because a cadre of the existing surgeons were always late. So 
marketing was able to demonstrate and put data together to show what was happening, that it came down to about 10 doctors that accounted for almost all the lateness. And they started working with ways to get those doctors transported from their other hospital where they were working, get there on time. It is a lot of detail. But again, it wasn't a communication solution. Mm -hmm. It was a, how do we open up hours of, of operating room time so I can now go out and recruit another surgeon to bring in more revenue. It's a very broad perspective on marketing. But what marketing did was able to look at a variety of data and say, here's the problem. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of communication uh, it, it comes down to also understanding the service. If you, run, if you have urgent care centers, you have to constantly promote them because urgent care is the kind of thing that we, you don't really think about it until the moment you, you cut your hand. And now you got to get it taken care of. And there's eight urgent care centers around there, so I need to keep mine top of mind for you and easy to find because now you're in a, I got to get this taken care of now mode. You're not going to sit, so sit there and start doing a lot of Google searching. So I want to keep, but it's episodic and it's, I got to keep. So there's, there are communications, but it comes down to the marketing director understanding the nature of how urgent care works. And again, with all that effort, what if our leaders don't trust the results? We like to get multiple perspectives on that. That can certainly happen. Ideally, if you've shown a really well thought out methodology that you can show, this is what we did. Here's how many inquiries we got via our via the website or via the app. Here's how many of those inquiries converted into usage. And 70% and of those were people we've never seen before. And here's the revenue that was generated and actually collected. The whole process. If you can have that level of discipline, of diligence, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll be direct about it. Politics are politics. I've told people before, if you work for an organization that you're so you've done a good job and you really have created a good marketing function that's on top of what's going on and is showing value, and at the end of the day, you're getting poo-pooed all over the place. I hate to say it, it may be a time to think about working somewhere else. I, I know that sounds flip. Sometimes you can only hit your head against a wall so many times. Hopefully you've got a leadership that says, hey, that's Okay, I see where you're going with that. But every once in a while, the reality is we work for places where they're just never going to get it. So we started you off with how to break through the noise. That, of course, begged the question, we've got their attention, now what? And finally, David Marlowe wrapped it up with how to plan and how to manage up. We meant for Hello Healthcare Season 1 to guide you down the intersections of strategy, data science, and emotional intelligence. We wish you a fantastic transition into 2022, and we look forward to saying hello again for Season 2. Thanks again for tuning into Hello Healthcare. If you like what you heard, we appreciate a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You and your feedback fuel us. This conversation is brought to you by Actium Health. To get the latest on what these healthcare leaders are saying, subscribe to our newsletter on HelloHealthcare.com or join us for our weekly sessions on LinkedIn. Thanks, and when we see you next time, hello. Hello.